Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that casts its eye across the entire globe in search of the most important property stories out there. And today we're looking at the changing face of the global workplace and asking what an effective change management strategy looks like when occupiers and landlords are helping teams adapt to new ways of working. What we're trying to get out of this is a great workplace experience and in turn then increased productivity. And it's a real tool for attracting and retaining talent. It really has to be a top-down approach. If you don't have senior leadership, engagement with people that people want to hear from, and understand why they're going through these changes. You really don't get the kind of level of adoption you'd like to get. Part of the key that we, we're seeing is employees who look at things as they're part of the change, whatever that change is, the change isn't happening to them. I'm Guy Ruddle, and we've brought together Savile's expertise from around the world to talk about this topic. In London, we have Kirsty Toy, who's Senior Workplace Strategist and Change Manager at KKS Savills. Kirsty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. In Singapore, we have Simon Raper, who's Head of Workplace Strategy for Savills APAC. Simon, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Hi, Guy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And in New York, we have Bene Josselson, who is Executive Vice President at Macro, a Savills project management practice in the US. Bene, uh, thank you for getting up so early for us this morning. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Great stuff. Well, sort of let's get into this then. Uh, and I want to start maybe with you, Kirsty. It might sound like a bit of a stupid question, but when we talk about change management, what, what, do, we, what do we actually mean by that? So change management is really about supporting and preparing individuals through organisational change. And that can be all sorts of things, very complex, very large, very small. And because it involves people, obviously, um, they're all different, as are different organisations. So we need to make sure that our approach is is tailored to those individuals and that organisational change, whatever that might look like for that particular purpose. And Benet, in, in your part of the world, in the, in the US, is, is this something that in, in, in the property world has, has been around a long time or, and, and has, has it changed a lot? Has it evolved over time? Uh, yeah, it's, it's been around forever, but I think that the pandemic sped up um, companies really seeking out outside help because everything happens in the workplace. It requires change. You address change. There were so so many big shifts in the way we work and how the real estate environment um, is addressing it, whether people are reducing their footprints, whether there are different industry issues that they need to address. There have been so many shifts within such a short period of time that the need um, and the desire to invest in outside assistance as part of what normally may have fallen to HR, um, we've seen a, a big uptick in that. And Simon, is is that uh, is that something that you recognise from in your part of the world as well? A sort of a big uptick post the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely, Guy. I think um, you know change management is relatively new in this region, but it's definitely been catapulted forward uh, during the pandemic and post pandemic, for sure. Yes, we're. Uh, very busy in that practice area in the moment. And do you, I mean, I know this might sound like a bit of a stupid question because we, we, we sort of slightly answered already, but, you know, what's the, 
the ultimate aim, if you if you said you know, we're going to do a change management project, what's your ultimate aim in doing that? Do you have a goal, do you think? There's a lot of uh, aspects that people kind of look at. I mean, we talk, typically talk about the kind of 10 aspects of change that impact people, which would be process systems, tools, job roles, critical behaviours, mindsets, attitudes and beliefs, reporting structure, performance reviews, even compensation and location. So... There's a lot of things that um, impact people in uh, in their daily lives that we sort of need to kind of address and and make as uh, as as easy as possible for the ultimate success at the end of the project. Yeah, and I think if I can just add to that, really, what we're trying to get out of this is a great workplace experience for all of the occupiers, and in turn, then increase productivity potentially, or at least them doing absolutely the best work they can. And it's a real uh, tool for attracting and retaining talent. If you've landed a project, particularly new ways of working successfully, and you have a clearly defined workplace strategy, it's driven you know, by and supported by the, the senior team. Actually, that's somewhere that I want to go and work. And when you get there, um, you can be as productive as possible. Yeah. And I think I'll just layer a layer onto that, that um, when you're looking at a successful change, part of the key that we, we're seeing is employees who look at things as they're part of the change, whatever that change is. The change isn't happening to them. They are driving it forward along with senior leadership. So no matter where you're falling in an organization or whether you're joining an organization, you're feeling empowered and connected. So cards on the table, everybody. Um, In a previous life, I had a job for a while doing change management, a big change management project in in a journalistic organisation. I won't bore you with the details of it. Suffice to say, it was the hardest and most unpleasant job I've ever done. And and, and it's an experience which has left me slightly scarred. So help me out here. How do you do it well? Okay, so it's very much a process. Um, It's certainly not something that you can do overnight with some communications uh, messaging. Um, But it really starts right at the beginning. And our focus is on workplace change. So it really starts with the initial engagement that you will have with the employees if you're collecting data around um, staff surveys or looking at their occupancy or holding workshops and engaging with them to find out what a future um, workplace experience might look like Um, and working with their senior team also to um, explore their vision and aspirations for a future workplace that aligns with their business strategy so all those things would have kind of already happened you've started that engagement but once you know what the change is going to look like how those people are going to have to adapt whether that's uh, a number of days in the office or um, a a change to the workplace um, environment so different work settings they might be transitioning from a single occupancy office or a set desk to a much more activity-based setting where they've got um, shared environment. It's really getting them involved um, all the way along as, as much as you can. So really engaging up front. Ex- the, the, the senior level buy-in is absolutely critical um, to make sure that there's a consistent message and there's a story that they're all sticking to, that this is why we're doing it, this is why we're doing it now, this is how it's going to impact individuals, this is going to how it's going to benefit the organisation as a whole. Um, and then really taking them through that journey for the for the whole duration. Um, 
and setting up change networks. I mean, th- those sorts of things are really important to, to help them feel connected and involved, that they've had a say, they're being listened to. Simon, we've, we've sort of mentioned that the, the need for the business case and promoting the business case for all this. I, I sort of slightly sometimes wonder... Uh, whether that has to be done quite carefully, because, you know, it's, it's easy to do the business case for the business leaders and they can see the benefit. But for the people it's happening to, uh, you know, the business case is less a sort of less of an important thing. It's, it's what's happening to them is the more important thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like the, you know, we call it art meet science. Um, I think that the we, we use the pro side. Um, change management model here and and we always say that sort of organizations don't change uh, individuals change and basically organizations change uh, through those individuals so the more individuals you can take on that journey the better so the way that we sort of engage with people and take them on that journey is as uh, Kirsty was just describing is using what we call the ADCO model uh, so A for awareness that's basically understanding the need for change D for desire the desire to kind of participate and support the change K for knowledge, so understanding, you know, how they're going to change, and then A ability uh, to basically implement and change, and also kind of um, support those new behaviours, and then finally R for reinforcement to basically sustain the change. But is that is this a universal thing, change management, how you do it, or is it sort of? I mean, we're talking to the three of you in very different parts of the world, probably with a little bit of different workplace culture. Do you think it's sort of it it has to be tailored very much to 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 your specific or to a specific region. So I don't I don't think it's necessarily a regional issue. I think that what Simon and Kirsty have explained are you know the the theoretical underpinnings of any change management exercise. But what we have found across North America is that as you dig into different change management processes. Um, especially in terms of returning to the office after the pandemic, um, different levels of expectations or different um, approaches to how you could have flexible working arrangements. We found that different industries have different norms because they have different cultures. Different areas of the U.S. have different expectations and different norms. And that's, that's challenging, but we... But by looking at individual um, norms and sensitivities and getting to know the organizational culture and the industry culture and then geographic expectations, we've been able to navigate successful programs. I think, I mean, fundamentally, regardless of geography or culture, this is about people. And actually, um, you know, people are unique and they will adapt and respond to change in very unique ways. So it doesn't really matter where people are uh, you have to adapt that kind of change change process to to suit them and that's why change management exists ultimately the psychology of change full stop is really complicated so how do you deal at a sort of human level with that sort of that complexity and the psychology of getting people to be open to change it's a really interesting area and obviously it's quite challenging sometimes because it's not one size fits all for people and they won't all respond in the same way. And it's fine. You know, that, that's normal and you expect some resistance. And it's understanding that different people go through a change cycle, a change curve at different paces um, than other people. But it's listening to them 
predominantly, and that might not always be um, from a from a project team or from a change manager, but from their, they need to feel that they've had a voice, um, and ultimately the benefits of that change need to be very well um, versed, and those messages need to be reinforced all the time so that they can try and understand it but it might take them a while to get there and it's using those advocates from the change uh, networks to really try and bring them along but sometimes they, they won't like it you know people don't always like it but if they've got a valid reason why they're resisting or there's something that we really need to take on board then we need to think about actually maybe we need to adapt. Sometimes um, what we have found is it's it's not only that you're you're listening, um, you don't have to make the changes. You know, I worked on um, a change project recently where it was just the exercise of being able to listen and collect feedback from people. Um, we didn't have to act on every piece of feedback, but showing employees that we were listening and then making certain changes that were um, by and large requested and not just everyone's individual changes was very impactful to the process. What we like to try and do here in Asia-Pacific is really understand the people that we're working with and what it is they're doing. And so we try to build out what we call personas around those individuals and start to kind of put them into kind of small buckets uh, in terms of understanding their kind of their behavioral needs, their kind of workplace needs if we go through workplace change. And critically understanding kind of human behavior, I think you sort of mentioned that earlier, Guy, um, that sort of, I guess, as human beings, we all hate sudden or large changes, but actually we're very adaptable and quite amenable to lots of small individual changes, even if they come in quick succession. So I think it's about sort of breaking the change down into bite-sized chunks and, and making those sort of cookies edible for the people so they can kind of take them through um, and, and sort of understand uh, that sort of change journey that we're going to take them on. I wonder whether the, the, the whole, this area, change management, has, be, has, professional, has become more professional o- over time and whether, and whether organisations are more willing to embrace it and embrace outside help on it to a certain extent. Is it, w- would that be the case, do you think, Kirsty? I think there are still um, organisations that think, oh, I, I can do this with a bit of comms and I'm going to tell people what's going on and they'll all be fine. Um, but actually, that's often not the case. And then, but yeah, more and more, um, we're getting, clients are coming to us for change management support as part of a, a much wider workplace strategy piece, which is great because they're recognising the importance of it and taking their, their staff with them because it's everybody's talking about it at the moment. Everyone's talking about hybrid and what the strategy is and return to the office. And it's really important that they get it right to make sure that they can attract people, retain, retain their existing talent and give people a great workplace experience. Benet, there's a there's a, 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 a tendency to think that that uh, you know the US is sort of ahead of the game in 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 all these you know developments and things like that. Uh, do you do you have the same experience as Kirsty, or do you think perhaps organisations in your part of the world are a little bit more uh, enlightened, perhaps? No, I don't think that. I don't think <laughs> no. that we're more enlightened. Um, I think that it's been it's been a process. Um, you know, I don't come I don't come to this from a workplace background, I come to this from an HR background. And so, you know, the focus that has been shifted to um, what employees can bargain for or ask for as part of the overall equation, um, whereas before 
a lot of changes were not people-centric. And, you know, what Kirsty and Simon were saying before about it being about the people, that's been a huge shift in the U.S. in the, you know, quote-unquote power dynamic between employees and their employers. And that factors into, you know, investing in a successful change management program. I think Kirsty is right. There are plenty plenty of people, plenty of companies that still believe a couple of communications are going to make it happen. But I'm working with a client right now who is making the transition from a couple of communications will make it smooth to nobody's coming into our brand new offices across the country. Why? Yeah. What we find is that and it really has to be a top-down approach. If you don't have senior leadership, sponsorship, kind of engagement with people that people want to hear from and understand why they're going through these changes, you really don't get the kind of level of adoption you'd like to get through the ADCAL process. And I think that also when we come to kind of those change advocates or change champions, as we call them, people managers are absolutely the best people because actually when you look at um, listening to your kind of senior leaders, you kind of you're seeing that big picture vision but really, when it comes down to kind of, you know, brass tacks and kind of the grassroots of like, how's it going to affect me as an individual? You go to your kind of line manager or your kind of people managers, and those are the real kind of key people you want to sort of get engaged in that process early on uh, to, to ensure that success. Yeah. I think we could sort of talk about this all day, but um, we can't. We've all got other things that we need to go and do. So. So thank you very much for that. But before we go, all three of you, I think I don't know whether you've been warned about tell me something I don't know, this little nugget of uh, information of, or a thought or an idea that sort of shines a bit of light onto extra light onto onto the on, onto things. Um, where should we start? Let's let's start in uh, let's start in New York. Benet, tell us something we don't know. So did you know um, that? In 2017, the Harvard Business Review issued a study that said with, that teams with neurodivergent professionals are 30% more productive than teams with neurotypical individuals. A lot of companies rec recognize that neurodiversity is a competitive advantage, so they're doing more hiring initiatives to bring on neurodiversity. But what they're not necessarily doing across the U.S. is strategizing and designing for workplaces where people will thrive and teaching and training people for the changes that come with working with neurodiverse individuals. That is absolutely fantastic. No, I didn't know any of that. And I do now. That's the point of tell me something I don't know. Simon, tell us something we don't know. No, Corinne, fantastic, Gouch. So working with ProCycle the last 20 years, all their research and data supports and shows is that if you do change management well and truly invest in it, you'll get six times more likely outcomes in terms of meeting your project objectives and, and a happy team coming out through at the end of it. And also continuing with that kind of reinforcement and sustaining the change. Yeah. Well, you see that? I, I love this part of the podcast. Kirsty, you, you, we'll, we'll, we've left you to last. But tell us something we don't know. So I think we can all relate to having a, a preference for where we sit in the workplace and that often that is with our backs to something. Um, and actually, there's been some really fascinating research that's been done recently by Kirsten Saylor, who's a professor of sociology of architecture, which in itself is a fantastic title, um, that staff are more likely to rate their workplace environment favourably when they've got fewer desks within their field of vision. 
So this is when open plan has a really bad name generally. But if you have fewer desks within your field of vision, so broken up with um, uh, dividers or things, and when they're facing away from the room with fewer desks at their back, um, and this is you know against our sort of anti-predator instinct, they can be 40 times more likely to have a, a positive report of productivity um, in that sort of environment. And I just think it's then really important that how we design spaces with those humans in mind is so important. But also when people are thinking that you're moving to an open plan environment, it's not all about being open plan. This is going to be terrible, but it's the way that it's designed with the people in mind. And actually you can have a really positive impact on productivity as a result. There you go. Yet another thought-provoking episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you all for being here. Uh, It's been a pleasure to talk to you. If all that's done is whet your appetite for more information, then you'll find plenty on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. There's all sorts of stuff there, including blogs and plenty of information about workplace practices and change management and the like. As I say, that's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.